I mentioned Devamidha, whose name is brought up in the ninth canto, who had a son named Sura, who had a son named Vasudev. And Sanatana Goswami, Purujiva Goswami, have mentioned in their Bhagavatam commentaries, based on Padma Purana and other literatures, the fact that this uh, Devamida had not only Vasudev as a son, he had Vasudeva as a son by Chatriya marriage. And he also married a Vaishya girl. And from that marriage, another son named Parjanya was born. So we have Sura who went to Mathura and Parjanya because of being from the Vaishya mother. Just like they say, if your mother's Jewish, then you're Jewish. So the system is that if, you're, if your mother's a Vaishya or your mother's a Chatriya, as may be the case, then so you are as well. So Parjanya Maharaj, Parjanya means cloud, and it's said that he, he was like a cloud in his munificence, bestowing milk in profusion and its products as gifts throughout the whole land. And pious in every way, particularly with regard to his respect for Narayan and Brahmins, so much so that Brahmins were happy to live under his care as a king of the cowherd settlement. And Ugrasen, who was ruling in Mathura, gave him the tilak and appointment as king of the cowherds for the whole of the of the Braj, Parjanya. Happily, everyone lived under his jurisdiction. Now, his father was a Chatriya, and I mentioned his mother was a Vaishya, but it, that's not the complete story, because she was a special kind of Vaishya from a mixed caste, Pratilom. It's mentioned in the Puranas, Padma Purana, that once Lord Brahma was performing sacrifice, and his wife Savitri was busy with cooking and household affairs to the extent that at an important point in the sacrifice, she couldn't be there to assist him. And so Brahma called Indra and said, get me another wife. So Indra went and looked and happened to see a very beautiful uh, Vaisha, cowherd girl, and kidnapped her and arranged for like a kidnap-type marriage with Brahma. And so the, the community, the Vaisha community from which this girl was taken, they voiced a complaint you've stolen a girl from our community. And so Vishnu intervened and he said, I'll give a benediction. Let this stay and I give the benediction that in that Vaishya community in the future, I'll personally appear. Now it's interesting to note that that wife of Brahma is known as Gayatri. So we know Gayatri from Gayatri Mantra and Gayatri Mantra has... uh, many different conceptions that surround the utterance of Gayatri, many different groups, that is, Sampradayas, traditions, chant Gayatri Mantra, but they have different ideas about it. Even in the Gaudiya community, many people take objection, take exception to our, in our particular line of Gaudiyas, chanting the Gayatri Mantra, of course, this was instituted by Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, to a large extent, who, along with the Diksha Mantras, he gave this 
what we call Brahma Gayatri. Sometimes it's called Surya Gayatri. And again, relative to the different conceptions about this this mantra. Previous to Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, those who were Brahmins and wore the sacred thread that became Gaudiya Vaishnavas and took the mantra diksha from the Gaudiya Sampradaya, they would take off their thread. The idea is that the Gaudiya Sampradaya, the Gaudiya Diksha, is superior to the Brahman Diksha, and they would acknowledge it in this way. But here Bhakti Sanatsar came along and gave the Gayatri thread and Gayatri mantra along with the Diksha mantra, so some people object to that, and they really don't understand the uh, import behind it. In the writings of Jiva Goswami, he mentioned that it's not customary, it was not customary at the time for the... Uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavas to wear the sacred thread, and that means also to chant the, the uh, Brahma Gayatri mantra. But the implication of that statement is that there may be a time when implementing that and giving the Brahman thread to those who take Vaishnav Diksha and having them chant the sacred Gayatri may be fashionable and have utility. And this is how we understand the innovation in this regard of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur who saw at the time that Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the sense of its value and uh, esteemed position in the religious world was largely uh, lost, and pious Hindus did not have much regard for the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Gaudiya Vaishnavism is a very high theology, and it in some ways lends to moral lapses not really, but because it speaks, we were speaking just earlier before the class about parikya bhav, the unwedded love of Radha and Krishna and so forth. So these kind of topics can be misunderstood, and they were to some extent. And so Gaudi Vaishnavas were not considered very serious people to a large extent. And Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsatakur, of course, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur wanted to bring new life into the tradition. So one of the innovations of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsatakur was to give the Brahman thread and the Brahman Gayatri Mantra to his disciples, along with the other Diksha Mantras, Gaudiya Diksha Mantras. And his reasoning was that the Gaudiya Vaishnavas were disregarded largely at the time, and those who were doing so were making offense, Vaishnava Aparad, we call it. And at the same time, the persons who were being brought into the Gaudiya Sampradaya through missions like that of Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasri Thak were somewhat inhibited by the social religious climate of the times, which, as I said, didn't have uh, hold Gaudi Vaishnavism in high regard. And what was held in high regard, of course, was uh, the position of the Brahmins, who did all the worship, and uh, that was their duty in the society, and giving them mantras and blessings, and presided over all religious affairs and so forth, served the deities in the temples and whatnot. So, Bhaktisattva Sarsitakra thought that, on the one hand, if they were the sacred thread, because that means so much in the society, that when the those who are not Gaudiyas, they see the sacred thread, they'll think, oh, they're Brahmins, so they'll have regard for them. And the Gaudiya Vaishnavas themselves will be less intimidated by the social climate. So to encourage the, the new recruits, Vaishnavas, and to save other people from potentially making aparad. He instituted this, and then he established temples, large temples, and elaborate deity worship and so forth to give some 
visibility and religious respectability to the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. He did things that other people respected, which weren't contrary to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but weren't so much current at the time. Devotees would be initiated in, in, in other sects within Gaudiya Vaishnavism, just told to chant japa, they weren't told to be engaged in preaching and uh, opening temples and, and so forth. So he made these kind of innovations. At the same time, of course, uh, Jiva Goswami has pointed out in Satsandarbha the furthest reach of what that Brahma Gayatri mantra extends to. And, of course, he establishes without uh, a doubt that the Brahma Gayatri is a, a mantra propitiating uh, the worship of the Supreme Lord, not any of the demigods as it's conceived to be by others. And, furthermore, he implies, through his explanation of it, that that worship of the Supreme Lord includes, or and in fact is perfect and complete by worshiping the potency of the Supreme Lord. And by that, of course, he implies Srimati Radharani. In fact, he brings out the fact that Gayatri, Brahma Gayatri, is the, the Srimad Bhagavatam is an explanation of the meaning of Gayatri. And Srimad Bhagavatam, as I said earlier, is, is the heart of Krishna. It's all about Radha's love for Krishna. That's what Srimad Bhagavatam is all about. In so many ways, directly and indirectly, as I said earlier, it, this is what it's about. Radha's love for Krishna. It's shedding light on that, focusing on that. And citing Guru Purana as he did, he explained, Guru Purana says, the Bhagavatam, among other things, is an explanation of Brahma Gayatri. Gayatri Basirupo So. So, if Srimad Bhagavatam is an explanation of Gayatri, and Gayatri must have some position with the Gaudiya Vaishnavas, so those who think that this is inappropriate or things along these lines, the innovations of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasadagra have not thought very deeply about the significance of Gayatri Mantra. Our Bhakti Rakshakshiradeva Goswami Maharaj, of course, elaborated on Jiva Goswami's, the implications of his writing about Gayatri in, in Satsandarbha and wrote a beautiful commentary on Brahma Gayatri demonstrating how it leads to Radhadasyam in its furthest reach. So you should know, those of you who have, have received this mantra, that you should never be intimidated by that kind of propaganda against the chanting of this mantra. It's our particular lineage within the Gaudiya Sampradaya that has shown the deepest meaning of Brahma Gayatri and how it is so vital and essential to Gaudiya Vaishnavas. So it's not the property only of Brahmins and not something, therefore, to say, well, we've transcended that, we don't need that. It's furthest reach takes us to the service of Sri Radha. So, from this Leela of Krishna also, we can appreciate this point, because Gayatri, that kidnapped from the Vaishya community wife of Brahma, who became engaged in, in sacrifice, on account of that taking place, Vishnu gave the promise that he would appear in that Vaishya family. They're called Abhiras, Brahman father, Vaishya mother, a mixed caste, a certain type of Vaishya, which Jiva Goswami says at the time was the uh, most exalted group of peasants. So my point is Gayatri has everything to do with Gaudiya Vaishnavas. On account of, that, of her involvement in, in this way with Brahma, Krishna has appeared. 
apparently as a Vaishya, but the implication also is with that, well, as a Vaishya, but also some Brahman influence there and uh, some confusion and we don't know what his caste is. And of course, the idea is that Krishna is beyond all, all castes. But it's more charming to think of him as a Vaishya. And this, of course, is how the Gaudiya Vaishnavas like to think of him. We can think of him, we should, as the Supreme Personality of God, but we should get to the point in our culture where that becomes insignificant, in fact, forgotten about. And we think of him only as the inhabitants of Vrindabandhu, as our son, in the case of Dishoda and Nanda Maharaj, as our friend, as our lover, as in the case of the gopis. This is the acme of our spiritual culture. Without first understanding that it's the Supreme Personality of God, however, we never get there. Therefore, Prabhupada emphasized that so much. And as I said earlier, therefore, that part of that one line from Srimad Bhagavatam, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, which means Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God, it is so essential, the key to unlocking the mystery of Srimad Bhagavatam. So Parjanya Maharaja, crowned king of the Vaishyas, pious in every way, who is compared to all of the great devotees in terms of whatever quality shined out in them in particular. He had all of those qualities. And uh, he married a, another lady from the Vaishya community, and she gave birth to five sons. And he named the sons all based on the root word nand, which means joy. So there was Upananda, Abhinanda, Nanda, Samnanda, and Nandana, five sons. And the implication is, of course, that these sons were all, gave great joy to him and that they would give great joy to the world as well. After some time, he felt that his life was complete, Parjanya Maharaj, and so he sought to transfer the position of the chieftain of the cowherds to, naturally, his eldest son, Upananda. So he called an assembly and he passed the tilak and the crown position to Upananda, coronated him as king of the cowherds, and, and he was uh, happy to retire. And Upananda accepted, of course, and everyone was happy. And then Upananda performed his first act as king. And what did he do? He coronated his younger brother, Nanda, the middle of the five sons, as the king. Nandamara said, no, no, you're the eldest son. But Upananda protested and said, no, but you're the most qualified. And he said, after all, I'm only an Upananda, which can mean a little Nanda, in comparison to the joy that you will give the world. Now, everyone accepted this. Everyone was pleased with this, including Parjanya Maharaj. So such was the character of Nanda Maharaj. Such a noble king of the cowherd community. So capable of taking that position of, of his father. More capable. Sometimes it's said that the son, by the grace of the father, improves the business and takes it to a new level. The disciple exceeds the guru in his outreach and preaching by the grace of the Guru. So Nanda Maharaj was such a qualified leader. Everyone was fully satisfied under his uh, leadership. And he married a beautiful 
lady, Jashoda. Jashoda means Da Jasho, who, who gives fame. They were a very generous couple, living very happily in the cowherd community, and the whole community was completely satisfied. Only one problem loomed in the community, in the minds of everyone, and more and more increased as time went on. And that was that Nanda Maharaj didn't have a son. So, different suggestions were made, and different potions were offered, and sacrifices were made, and, and so forth, and procedures undertaken that uh, he might have a son, and no issue came. So, the importance of a son to carry on the kingdom and what the son of Nanda and Yashoda would be like, they could only speculate how wonderful he would be. As this problem prolonged, it, it really started to weigh heavily on the inhabitants and it weighed heavily on Nanda Maharaj also. And so finally, he confided in Mother Yashoda, his good wife. The problem is with me, he said. Every time I think of conceiving a son, I get this vision that my son will be more beautiful and qualified and capable than God, Narayan, who was the, the deity of Nanda Maharaj and the whole cowherd community. And then he said, but I, of course I know that's it's not possible. can't have a son that's more beautiful and more qualified and wonderful than, than Narayan. So then I, I lose some enthusiasm and this way I become despondent. So this way he confided in Mother Yashoda, and Mother Yashoda then confided in him. Same thing happens to me. I get this vision of a son more beautiful than Narayan, more charming, more qualified in every way. What to do? So Mother Yashoda made a suggestion. She said we should perform the Dwadasi Brat for one year, worship Narayan, put ourselves in his hands. So this vow of Dwadasi they performed for one year, and as the vow was completed, they dreamt, both of them independently, the same dream. And Narayan appeared in the dream and said to them, that soon you will have a son and he will fulfill all of your ambitions for a son in every respect. Narayan himself more or less told them that your son will be more qualified than me, more beautiful than me. And of course, this is the whole idea of Krishna. When we say Krishna is to Bhagavan Swayam, we say Krishna is the source of Narayan. So he has qualities, wonderful qualities, that even Narayan does not have. Narayan is God. Krishna is something more than God. As I mentioned earlier, Krishna is God defeated, exhausted, his supply, his capacity to reciprocate, exhausted by the love of his devotees. This is the idea of Krishna. So that love of the devotees is more. And that love of the devotees is synonymous with Krishna. So they were delighted to have such a dream and a confirmation from, from their deity. And meanwhile, the community at large, of course, wasn't aware of this dream. And so they were concerned. And the concern had reached such a point that they had a council, a village council, what to do. And at that time, a mystic lady appeared dressed in white, and she was so uh, attractive that she caught everyone's attention and they, they naturally paid regard to her and said, who are you and what brings you here? And who is that young man with you who looks like Nard himself? 
Narada Muni himself. And she said, um, I've never married. This is now the version of Jiva Goswami. And I dress always in saffron. And this boy with me, yes, you're right, he's as qualified as Narada. His name is Madhu Mangal. And my name is Purnamasi. And she explained herself to be an astrologer and, and a mystic. And they said, Oh, please, let us make you a house out of leaves and and branches along the banks of the Krishna. Krishna is another name for Jamuna, because Jamuna has said to have black waters, and Krishna means black. She said, You have spoken another Veda. Yes, I will reside next to the Krishna. But it is not so much the Jamuna river, but the fact that soon your king, Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda, will have a son, and that will be his name, Krishna. So then the whole community was, of course, delighted, and that Purnamasi was the personification, one, although there are many, but one of the personifications of Yogamaya, in charge of arranging so many aspects of the Leela of Krishna. And Madhumangal became the gift of Purnamasi to Krishna, a fast friend who knew everything about his heart's plight, his love for Radha, and was quite capable of counseling him in his hours of need. So, at that time then, by the arrangement of Yogamaya, that Yashoda, who was very controlled, after all, she performed, the, and it was her suggestion that they do so, the Dwadasi Vrat for one year, so a vow for one year consistently with the worship of Narayana, and it was quite involved and required quite a bit of self-control. So at this time, she appeared to take on the signs of pregnancy by the arrangement of Yoga Maya, and that controlled, sensually controlled lady began to lose control of her senses and, and her appetite began to rage, especially she had a penchant to it, a taste, a longing for sweets cooked in ghee and, and sugar and uh, all such uh, palatable dishes like we offer to Krishna on, on Janmashtami and every day for that matter throughout the year. At that time, she was uh, about three months pregnant and Rohini Devi, as I mentioned earlier in the previous class, came to Vrindavan on a chariot, also similarly pregnant with Ram, Balram, and she came under the sh shelter of Nanda Maharaj, who, it should be understood from what we've explained thus far, was related to Vasudev, having the same grandfather, so you could call them, what, quarter brothers or half-brothers, that Vasudev we spoke about in Mathura, in the prison house of Kamsa, was the half-brother of Nanda Maharaj. And Nanda Maharaj gave shelter to his second wife, Rohini, pregnant with Balaram, and the Cahard community's concern was not only eradicated by Purnamasi's prediction, but the actual signs of pregnancy of Jashoda. And in due course, as the pregnancy reached its term, then Krishna took birth from Jashoda. And here, in this instance, we find all the signs of pregnancy, labor, all arranged by Yogamaya. And at the time of the birth, Yogamaya put the whole community 
into a sleep. And Nanda Maharaj, just previous to the birth of the child, and Yashoda as well, they both had a vision. In that vision, they saw that the son that was to be born shortly was embraced and enwrapped as if inseparable from a, uh, a girl that changed from formless to having form and was a mystical vision. This is another manifestation of Yoga Maya, Purnamasi being the one, this another. And this uh, Yoga Maya, as I mentioned earlier, is attached to Krishna like a shadow. Now, when you're walking around, you don't usually think of your shadow, but it's always there. So this Yoga Maya is always following Krishna and always facilitating the intimacy of love that Krishna has with his devotees by diminishing or eradicating, I should say, in the minds of the devotees, the sense that Krishna is God, and also within Krishna, removing the sense, the reality, from his mind that he's God, so that he can interact as he does, really as a son. Krishna is the son. This is my point, our Gaudiya Vaishnava point. He is the son of Yashoda. He's not God who's playing the part of the Son. But this is his identity. This is the fullest identity, as he is the uh, um, lover of Radha and the friend of Subal and all these relationships in Vrindavan. Krishna is fully absorbed in that. We have to come in time to this kind of realization. That means all Aishwarya is gone. All the sense of Krishna being God is completely removed in order to have that relationship, which is the prayogen, the goal, the fruit of all our practice, and enter into that leela, all sense of Krishna's godhood removed. If it's not, to whatever extent it's still there, it should be clear that will impede the possibility, inhibit the possibility of, of intimacy. If there's a hint that your son is God, it's going to inhibit the free flow of parental love. If you have a sense that your friend is God, like Arjun got a sense that his friend was God when he showed in Bhagavad Gita his universal form. And Arjun, what did he do? He said, oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I said, oh, hey Krishna, hey Yadava, hey Saketi, I sat on the same bed with you. I used these terms in a derogatory way, almost, as if you were inferior to me, as if we were equals. I see that's not. This never happens to Krishna's friends in Vrindavan. This never happens to Mother Yashoda. This never happens to the gopis. That happened to Vasudeva and Devaki. As I said, Krishna born in the prison house, four arms began preaching. They're offering prayers to Krishna. And then he's, he speaks to them, answers their prayers and so forth. Where is the question of uh, real parental love? You see, if you have any children, then you know something about parental love. If we have a friend, you know about friendly love. If you have a lover, you know about that kind of love. This is a very difficult point to understand. It's very esoteric. Just like that, they have love for Krishna, for God. Just like that. But because, because he is the perfect object of love, it works out. <laughs> it's perfect in every way. But there's absolutely no sense to his Godhead. When we advance in Krishna consciousness and we culture Krishna consciousness internally, practice in our bhajan, then the sense of Krishna's Godhood cannot be present in that bhajan if we are to enter into that 
domain. Now, you cannot artificially adopt that and say, I, I, I'm going to be uh, Krishna's friend or a gopi, and I'll go into my bhajan. And this is not a mental adjustment. This is a realization. And in order to reach this realization, of course, we have to really be here over and over and over again about the godhood of Krishna. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Hamsar Rasya Prabhupada Matasavam Bhavartate, Iti Matva Bhajantemam Buddha Bhavasamanvita. He says, knowing me to be the source of everything, people get the energy then to worship me with the kind of intensity that brings them to this ragmarg. Buddha Bhavasamanvita. Sridhar said, Ragasamanvita. When we know that Krishna is the source of everything, when we understand this point, then we give all our energy back to the source, fully. We understand that's in our, our interest. Fully dedicating ourselves completely. He the source of all joy. Akila Rasamrita Murti. Then when we give our, we'll understanding this point fully, we can give ourselves fully. And as we give ourselves fully, then we get fully. And we get all that Krishna has to give. And that's what? Himself. And giving himself means he puts himself in our hand, just like he's dependent on Mother Yashoda. Just like uh, Sridham can uh, uh, can defeat him in wrestling. And he has to carry Sridham on his shoulders. You see what I'm saying? This is inconceivable. People who understand God have difficulty relating to this, that such a thing could be possible. Such is the force of love, such is the power of love. That is the teaching of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Love is supreme. So this is the doctrine of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. As I've said many times, every religion is teaching that God is the supreme worshipable object and we are teaching about the worshipable object of God. A very unique idea. So, Vasudev and Devaki, to them, some unks of Krishna appeared, some expansion of Krishna appeared, but not the full Swayam Bhagavan Krishna himself in his, all of his fullness in Braj. And they could not have fully a parental relationship with him. And therefore, on the basis of this, we conclude that he's not really their son, Krishna. Krishna is the son of Nanda Maharaj and Yasoda. Because they had full parental love. Just like if you are my son, but a neighbor loves you more, then you develop a more loving relationship with a neighbor than you do with me as your father. People will say, actually, he's actually the neighbor's son. They'll start to identify with him. Because the whole thing, all these relationships, are based on affection. So wherever the, the strength, the force, the greatness of the, the, the affection lies, that's where we make the determination who belongs to who. This is the ultimate theological, philosophical argument by which we establish our position that Krishna is really the son of Nanda Maharaj and Yasoda. And, of course, there are many, as I mentioned before, statements in Bhagavatam we can draw insight from and to give support to this. But this is the main point. The determining factor is love, affection. Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda Amai, they had a greater intensity of parental affection for the Absolute. As I said, they dreamed to have a son more beautiful than Orion. They, they was their sadhana. They were absorbed in that, preoccupied with that. Sridhar Marsh once explained the Leela of Krishna's birth like this. The Leela is circular. Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda Mai, they want to have a son. Their conception of a son is such that 
as I said, he's more beautiful than Narayan. It's kind of a crazy idea. But they have it. They're possessed of it. They enter into it. It happens. They have the sun. What happens? The sun goes to Mathura at 11 years old. He's gone for 100 years. In separation from him, he's gone to Mathura, he's gone to Dwarka. They go mad. They lose consciousness. They're so crazy that they begin to look at one another in their madness of their separation from their son. It is said that Uddhava came to Vrindavan to deliver a message to Nanda and Yasoda and the inhabitants from Krishna. Like, I'll be coming back soon. And Anyway, you shouldn't feel any separation because the fact of the matter is we're all connected always at all times. He spoke like Gyan, Gyan Yoga, giving philosophy. They have no room for that. Inhabitants of Vrindavan, you're going to talk to them about philosophy, how we're always connected with Krishna, God's everywhere. You can't really be separated from him. <laughs> they can't hear that kind of thing. So Uddhava sees this in them, the madness of their separation. He says to them, you are the most fortunate people in the whole world. The kind of affection that you have for Krishna is so intense, so extreme. Nandamarsh grabs him by the shirt and says, what are you talking about? You think I'm fortunate. My wife and I, we're the most unfortunate people in all existence. Krishna's our son. Yes, but he's gone. And you call us fortunate. That's why Uddhava, by respecting the intensity of their love, it just brings it out more. Uddhava went mad seeing that kind of love, the love of the gopis. He was never the same again. He wandered around Vrindavan for two months, singing various songs and praising the love of the gopis and inhabitants of Vrindavan for Krishna. Came back to Dwarka until to wishing that in the context of his relationship he could have that kind of intensity of love that he had seen there. When Narada advised Gopakumar, when he arrived in Dwarka, go back to earth, go to Jagannath Puri. It, it's in many ways analogous to Vrindavan and perform worship there. Uddhava graduate said, no, don't go there. Go to Vrindavan itself. Go to Braj itself. There's no possibility there of thinking in any other way like Krishna's God or anything like that. There's possibility of that in Puri. Go to Vrindavan. Perform the Hari Ram Sankirtan there and remember the pastimes of Krishna. Then you'll reach all perfection. So he, he, saw, he witnessed that kind of devotion. He could never forget that. So Siddhamars explained... In his madness, Nanda Maharaj and, and Yashoda Mai, they're thinking, our son is gone, our son is gone, our son is gone, they're going mad. And as they think, our son is, he's been gone for so long, he's been gone for so we're crazy. We must be crazy. Do we have a son? Did we have a son? We, let's have a son. We should have a son. What kind of son? A son should be more beautiful than Narayana, more qualified. In this way, the Leela starts over again. And Krishna Janmastami again in Gokul, in Vrindavan. In this way, the whole thing is moving on the force of the devotee's love. Again, I make this point. Krishna is synonymous with that kind of love. He is the, the personification of that love. This is, again, achinta beda beda, one and different. He's saying that love is superior to Krishna, but that love is, is what causes that Krishna to manifest. Of course, it's all eternal, so Krishna is eternally manifest, but he is that love in a sense, and he's the object of that that love at the same time. So, 
Nanda Maharaj and, and Yashoda Mai, at the time of Krishna's birth, that, that child that they saw in the womb that they envisioned, surrounded by a mystic girl, formless and with form, that was that Yogamaya. And Yogamaya made an arrangement that all the inhabitants of Mardabhan would go into a mystic kind of a slumber. Like in labor, Mother Yashoda dozed off, became unconscious. And everyone else is outside, of course, the labor room. And if you've ever waited up for your son to be born, you can fall, they fall asleep sometimes in the lounge waiting for it to happen. <laughs> Lady Meguel go unconscious, it's possible. Man falls asleep. And so Yogamaya made an arrangement like this. And then, in the meantime, simultaneously, Krishna's Angsa is manifesting in Mathura as the son of Vasudev and Devaki, forehanded. And Yogamaya arranged for Krishna from Jashoda to be taken to Mathura, just like she took Ram from Devaki and brought her to the womb of Rahini. She transferred Krishna to Mathura. After the Krishna in Mathura, the Amsa, the expansion of Krishna, was offered prayers, appearing forehanded and so forth, he replied to Devaki. Devaki wanted him to assume a two-arm form because she was afraid for his well-being. So that two-armed form of Krishna from Vrindavan absorbed the four-armed Krishna. And Vasudev took that Krishna back to Vrindavan. Meanwhile, a girl was born, and everyone was asleep to this fact. That girl was that Yogamaya, described in Bhagavatam as Anuja, younger sister of Krishna. So, Goswami's reason like this. She's the younger sister of Krishna. Therefore, she was born after Krishna. So, Krishna was born of Jashoda. And then Subhadra, the girl, was born. Yoga Maya, by putting everybody to sleep, arranged for Krishna to be taken to Mathura to absorb the four-armed Krishna back in him from where whom he manifests. And then when Vasudev brought the two-armed Krishna back across the Jamuna, Jamuna opened up and and the storm was raging in the night. But Anantasesh came, manifestation of Balarama acted as an umbrella so he could carry the child without any impediment. The river Jamuna opened, he walked through, and then he placed the child, and the girl was there. He took the girl. Mother Yasoda woke up, and only Krishna's there. No idea that the girl was also born and transferred. And then, of course, everyone else awoke. An elderly Brahmin woman who was, whose husband was still alive and whose sons were still alive, white-haired, white dress that appeared like almost like an effulgence, she was appointed by Rohini. You go and tell Nanda Maharaj, son is born. At that time, Nanda Maharaj was in the cow shed waiting for something to happen and uh, tending to the cows. And she came bearing auspicious ingredients which symbolized the fact that a son had been born. So, Anandamara said, what happened? She was too stunned even to speak, but the signs that you're carrying uh, by sign language, it was understood, a son has been born. And so the rejoicing in the community began. Kettle drums beating and arrangements for the Nandotsava the festival the next day, which is which is tomorrow, the day in which Prabhupada was born. 
In this way, it's understood from our Gaudiya Sampradaya that Krishna is actually the son of Nanda and Yashoda, and only the Angsa of Krishna is born to Vasudev and Devaki. And as I mentioned, our objective is in one of these capacities for loving Krishna as friend, as lover, as as servant, as parent, to enter into the same exalted sentiment of these inhabitants of Vrindavan that correspond with Krishna. Their love and Krishna correspond. He is the what happens. Krishna is what happens when you have that kind of love. And it means God putting himself completely in your in your hands. We are so far removed from this, but we should be so encouraged. This is the ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnava. Such a high position can be attained that God himself is paying regard to that, indebted forever. He says in Bhagavad Gita, As they surrender to me, I reciprocate accordingly. But this whole of Braj Bhakti, when you speak of gopis, the whole of Braj Bhakti has exhausted Krishna's capacity to reciprocate. Therefore, he actually gives himself. So, in this way, we've carried on some discussions about Krishna and Janamastami, the birth of Krishna. Are there any questions? I always wonder, I see the picture of Krishna hugging the Krishna knows what you are meant for. So, from Krishna's vantage point, we are all connected to him. He knows your highest potential. You have not acted in terms of it, but he knows it, and he relates to us in terms of that. Also, it's explained by Jiva Goswami and Preeti Sandarbha that there are many swarups in Golok that are dormant, and they're activated by bhakti hearing and chanting and so forth. Our swarup is dormant in Golok and it will be activated by... So Krishna knows that about us. So that's why Prabhupada would speak about it like that's our original position. You, you came from there and so forth. So there's some validity to speaking about it like that. That is who you are. That is your natural position. That is your potential. How else do you expect Krishna to relate to you in terms of what you're not? <laughs> what do you think you are now? He has nothing to do with that. <laughs> Not directly at, at, by any means. Gopagumar, Krishna told, I, I, I waited for you for such a long time. You knocked on so many doors and were refused when you begged on my behalf. He said, I was there watching that. And now I cannot bear separation from you any longer. So I've brought you here. So we should think like that. Krishna's, what we do in devotion is, doesn't go unnoticed. All is noticed. And when it builds at a certain point, Krishna cannot bear separation from us. That's what we call death for great devotees. Krishna cannot bear separation from them anymore. So he takes them. So from this it should be clear also, this is not a die and go to heaven type of idea, but the love that we culture over lifetimes when it matures our experience turns into into participation in Krishna Lila. And as Sanatana Goswami Prabhu has said in his commentary on Brihad Bhagavatamrita in one place, and when you see him, as I'm talking about him, what we mean by Krishna, 
This is Sanatana Goswami. He will look just like a village cowherd boy in India. No effulgence, no godliness at all. And you'll be charmed by him. Very difficult to understand. <laughs> Therefore, Gaudiya Vaishnavism gives such uh, importance to humanity. Because Krishna is God becoming as human as God can become. And humanity becoming divi- as divine as it can become. It's the meeting, the real uh, meeting between humanity and divinity. Another question? This is so, his ideal is so high. You see, we're um, not so qualified to, like you said, to come to the We lack some qualification. The more you realize that, the more qualified you become. The more you truly understand how you lack qualification and are thereby unfortunate, then the more qualified you become. When we think we have some worth, and this is some kind of something that's owed to us, to that extent we are not involved in Krishna consciousness. And And if we truly understand how unqualified we are, yet great devotees are offering this to us, then we take advantage of it. Because we don't understand how unqualified we are, we don't take advantage of it. Because we think we have some qualification. We have some value independent of Krishna consciousness, of spiritual life. So it holds us back. Therefore, Siddha Maharaj used to say, our, our advancement is measured in a negative way. Upanishad said, those who say they know Brahman, they don't know Brahman. Those who say they don't know Brahman, they know Brahman. Once Siddha Maharaj was asked that, that Guru Maharaj, one of the devotees said, you're always speaking like this, but my question is, what if you, you know, you, you really don't have? You're, you're really fallen. And Siddha Maharaj said, really? You really? And you really have. This is the point. If you really understand how unqualified you are, then you're in a position to, to gain everything. Because we don't. Therefore, we don't take shelter of Krishna to the extent that we should. We don't chant Hare Krishna as if it's our absolute only only hope in life. So it's good to talk about these things to the extent that the audience and all of us, we feel, I don't know, I'm not qualified for this. This is over my head. This is... But at the same time that we get that feeling, we also feel, but it sure is a nice idea. I'd like to uh, get involved. So both feelings come. Actually, it said that it's sitting before a qualified sadhu or guru, we should feel two things. One, we should feel how unqualified we are. Like Prabhupada said, we should always feel a fool before the spiritual master. So we will feel like that. But we also feel another thing, what potential we have. Because he embodies that potential. Krishna manifests as the guru to show us our own potential in life. One of my disciples once uh, was asked by a friend of hers, shortly after she joined, that, well, it's nice that you're there and and all, and I kind of understand why you got involved, but I only have one question to, for you. When you look in the mirror, do you smile? That's what he asked. Are you happy with yourself? Are you, is every, are you sure everything's all right? That's what he meant. Something's not being imposed upon you. Can you look in the mirror and smile? She wrote back and said, actually, when I look in the mirror, I don't see much to smile about. But when I look at my guru, then I smile. So she had a good understanding. I see my potential. I look in the mirror, I see my conditioning. This is what I am. If I look there, I see what I could be. What is my potential? And then I smile. Then I feel encouraged. 
But yes, it is. This is as high as, as, as we're talking about. As best as I can talk about it, it's very, very, very high. Very, very. It, it doesn't come easy. Shudamaraj was told once some young new man had come somewhere and he was showing the signs of the bhava. He was getting the bhava. He said, never, never. Sudurlab. Very, very rare. Of course, it will come. We say that this love for Krishna will not come in one lifetime. But I say, in one lifetime it will come. And when we start to think, this one lifetime it will come, it must come, it must come in this lifetime, that lifetime it will come in. When we get that kind of intensity, it must come in this lifetime. I must have Krishna consciousness. When we start to think like that, that is the one lifetime that it will come. So, all right. Shri Krishna Janamastamiki Jai Giri Rajagopadan Maharaj Ki Jai.